Before we get started, I want to tell you about my friends at Lean Solutions Group. Lean works with over 500 logistics and transportation companies in North America. You can describe Lean as a nearshoring company or a workforce optimization company, but as a customer, I describe Lean as a strategic partner who can help me win in a very competitive industry. They can quickly provide your company with top talent in operations, sales, marketing, technology, and business process outsourcing. They have over 9,000 employees in Colombia, Guatemala, Mexico, and the Philippines. Everyone is working with LSG. You need to. Check out the link in the show notes. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is Freight Tech Reality Check with my friend Brad Forrester. Brad is the founder of JBF Consulting. At JBF, Brad and his team help the largest shippers in the world select and implement freight tech solutions. Brad truly understands the freight tech space, what's working and what's not working. So if you're interested in the freight tech space, please stick around for my conversation with Brad Forrester. How's it going, Brad? It's going great, Joe. Good to be here. Good to talk to you again. It's, it's been a few months, but yeah, we're excited to be here. Yeah, we were just before we hit record, we were gossiping and catching up. I don't think I've talked to you in a while, but always great to have you on my podcast. So Brad, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Sure. I'm calling from just outside New Haven, Connecticut. So right in between Boston and New York City, I am the founder and CEO of JBF Consulting, and we've been around for, for 20 years, and we help shippers with the strategy, selection, implementation, and maintenance of logistics technology. So things like transportation systems, fleet systems, visibility systems, parcel, et cetera, right? So it's, it's a big and expanding space with a lot of exciting new technology and new developments all the time, as is common with technology. I am originally from Columbus, Ohio. I went to Michigan State. I got a, a degree in logistics from Michigan State. Go green. And uh, yeah, uh, I, have, I have spent time as a shipper. I have spent time on the carrier side working for a roadway package system. Uh, RPS, now FedEx Ground, and uh, also spent several years uh, as a software consultant, uh, implementation consultant with a couple software companies, Manugistics and uh, GT Nexus. Very nice. And uh, soon after that, started JBF, and, and here we are talking. Very nice. I've had you on my podcast before, and I've also talked to uh, Mike McQueen from your company. And you guys work with I don't think I'm exaggerating this. You work with the largest shippers. Am I right to say that? Yeah, we, we definitely skew towards very large shippers. Our sweet spot is uh, anywhere from $250 million of freight spend uh, to over a billion or more. These are complex shippers with complex requirements and difficult networks and lots of uh, subsidiaries and brands. And these create a lot of uh, challenges uh, for technology, for implementation. So we go where the challenges are. Yep. So when I think of shippers, 
there's the smallest shippers, there's the largest shippers. And there's, as you mentioned, there's all different levels of complexity everywhere. The smallest shippers say, I don't need a TMS. So they're not going to buy a TMS. They might work with a 3PL that has a TMS. As soon as you become a certain size, you might say, we need our own TMS. I'm not going to use my outside 3PL or my broker, my carrier. And the reason I'm not going to is because then they own me. They have my, they own my technology at that point. Very true. But the biggest guys, the real big guys that we're talking about, they long ago decided we have to have our own technology solutions. And they might have, I mean, and this is some of the conversation we've had in the past, they might have decided 30 years ago to buy technology. Yeah. And, and that's actually a, a very common kind of transition point for us is where we see small shippers that grew, grew too big and outsourced to a 3PL for a period of time, maybe 10 years or so. And during that time, they continue to, to scale their business, uh, sell more products, uh, open up new DCs, um, sell into more customers or more retailers. And then all of a sudden, they have a very large network. They have no data, no access to information uh, outside of what the, the 3PL partner gives them. And then there's a, an inflection point and a decision is made sometimes to say, okay, do we reinvest in this 3PL relationship and continue to expand or do we pull these capabilities in-house? And we work with a number of shippers today to help make those decisions, right? Should we pull operations and the technology back in-house from the 3PL? Should we pull just the technology so that we can get access to the data and our 3PL uses our technology that we own? So there's a bunch of different tactics and strategies there, but it, it's really around just listening to the client, what their objectives are, and helping them figure out what the options and the best path forward should be. Yeah. And you guys, again, don't engage. You're not selling freight services. You are selling consulting services to help select the right technology for what all, not just TMS, that's, that'd be the easy part. <laughs> you help them select that technology, implement that technology, and we'll get to it in a minute. Also make sure they're getting the most out of it because as we all know, it's really easy to implement technology and then forget about it. And maybe you're only using two thirds of the capabilities. But this is where I think we talked about last time you're on the podcast is if you were a big shipper, I'm, and I'm, let's just say Fortune 500 or near, you were probably a very early adopter of transportation technologies, right? And those might have been systems that they weren't in the cloud, right? Because there was no cloud when they've got there. There was no cloud. Yep. And some of those companies got acquired. And when they got acquired, I'm sure that the new technology company said, don't worry, we'll keep supporting your old clunky server-based system. And at some point they said, no, we're not going to. We're moving you to the cloud. And the problem with those transitions, am I wrong to say this? I don't think so. They might do millions of shipments or orders or whatever you're doing per year. So, And they might have tens of millions of records that have to somehow move to the cloud, which, which might take which could take over an hour to get all that stuff up there. <laughs> yeah, 
it, it may just take over an hour, Joe. You're right. Yeah, it's, it's sometimes it's just heavy lift. It's just labor. You need to get this stuff done. This is what they don't tell you in the, the software vendor PowerPoints that you listen to is that at the end of the day, sometimes it's just about labor and moving data and transforming data and cleaning data. Uh, when you look at the implementation uh, practice as a whole, it's a lot of unsexy work, but that that's where the payoff is in good data. Yeah. And you know what this reminds me of, Brad, is let's just say 20 years ago and you said, hey, I've made some bucks and I'm going to reward myself. So on Saturdays and Sundays, I can watch all the games. I'm buying myself a huge TV console and it's going to be, I'm going to get one of those top of the line TVs. You could pay 20 grand for it, right? And then if your friends were over here in 2023, they're like, dude, why do you have this old clunky TV? And you're like, I paid 20 grand for that in 2004. And that's the same thing we have with our technology sometimes is I bought something and I'm using it and all my records are in it. We are trained on it. I have 60 locations that are using it, but I know there's a brand new TV at Costco that I could have gotten for a thousand dollars. That's way down, way better than this one. Yeah. Now you're absolutely right, Joe. And, and you actually, you triggered a, a funny thought for me when you were talking about kind of the, the genesis of technology and there was no cloud. I think you could actually argue that if I look at Manugistics uh, software from a TMS perspective, I spent five years at Manugistics in, in uh, a couple roles, but before it was Manugistics, it was this company called STSC, if I'm not, hopefully I'm getting this, this correct, and it was like statistical time-sharing, because back in the 80s, the supply chain software was run on these big behemoth mainframe systems, and they would actually share timeshare to companies to solve problems in these black box optimizations that were centrally managed. In some fashion, you could say that was the early stages of cloud where there was essentially a timeshare for solving optimization problems in a central location on behalf of multiple clients. But obviously a lot, significant amount has changed since then. And we've gone from independent mainframes deployed at the client site with green screens to client server to end tier to now here we are with microservices and, and everything is cloud. And with the AI and uh, machine learning capabilities in the future, uh, what, do, what do all of those things mean, right? So there's definitely a lot of change in the past, let's say, 30 years. Um, and it's hard for companies to keep up with this when they're focused on their operations and their people and their customers, right? So that's why we're here. Yeah. And it's, boy, it just would also, I, by the way, I worked in automotive and automotive was an early adopter of all the technologies and not necessarily, and, and until they weren't. Yeah. One of the things I remember working on projects and some, you'd always get some new IT consultants would come in. I was a consultant too. And they would say, oh, we got, they, they're using this old mainframe, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yep. And they said, we got, we're going to upgrade them. I'm like, you got a billion dollars. And they would always say, what? I say, it's billions of dollars to upgrade. That's why it hasn't happened. It's not that they don't have money. It's like you're tearing the whole company down to do it. And I think this is the challenge I think a lot of companies have seen is we will make a move when we absolutely positively have to. And 
We And this, what's so crazy about it is, again, these were the early adopters. People were very smart, knew what they were doing, selected the very best system that day, that year. And now here they are 30 years later, probably calling Brad and Mike and the rest of the guys at JBF and saying, we haven't picked the technology for this in 30 years. Those guys long retired. <laughs> what do we need now? <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a fun challenge, but you're not wrong. And that's a, a very common inflection point. There are a number of triggers that we see that are very common. It could be your legacy software vendor gets acquired or they go out of business or those are very common triggers to say, okay, it's time for us to figure out what's in the market, what's changed. Let's go create a strategy and go to RFP, right? That's the, the common playbook. It could also be organic growth. That's a trigger. Like we were talking about just the normal scaling and, and outgrowing your uh, incumbent 3PL relationship or uh, wanting to continue to scale your business operations without adding headcount. There's a lot of very common triggers, but more and more these days, it, it is clear that technology is a key driver and a key enabler to a lot of the goals and objectives that our clients and these large shipper companies have. They're going to get realized through the proper implementation of the tech. Yep. 30 years ago, 25 years ago, if you were buying brand new technology for a large shipper, again, Fortune 500 company, maybe even... It wasn't a strategic decision then. It was important, but usually the top guy didn't even understand how his computer worked. <laughs> and and the challenge, I think, and you mentioned going out for RFP, you can't make a bad decision when you're that big. You can't say, oh, we implemented this and it took us two years and it sucked and we spent a ton of money and we really should have picked something else. You have to make the right decision, which is why people hire your company, because you're picking these new technologies all the time. You're always evaluating the new ones. They're like, last time we did it was 25 years ago when we bought our current system. And that's why we have Gartner. That's why we have not just Brad Forrester, but also Forrester, the, the uh, technology research. Because people don't do this. No relation. No relation. Yeah, people don't do that every year and you do. And that's the challenge. And it's a big decision. It is because just 25 years ago, 30 years ago, there were probably three options, right? Just like Ford's Model T, you can choose black, right? But there were any color you want, three, any color you want, as long as it's black. There were really probably three or four options in the market 25 years ago. And now there's hundreds, literally hundreds of <clears throat> transportation technology vendors. Yep. So Today, I want to talk to you about Freight Tech Reality Check. <laughs> and Brad, before we hit record, we were talking about some of, you were giving me a reality check. You're pretty close to all the market. I talk to people, but I don't always get the skinny on everything. And you talked about a lot of churn with the freight tech space. Some of the, the driven by just what we talked about, but what's some other drivers of that churn? Yeah, so there's been no shortage, and, and it's widely reported that there was a huge investment of private equity and, and venture money post-COVID, especially around supply chain technology. So through that big, let's say, injection of capital uh, into these tech providers, some are going to stick and some are not, right? So I think we're seeing the culmination and the, and the reality that those that are performing and can turn a profit and can gain market share are the ones that are going to be sticking around. 
the ones that have maybe misappropriated or burned uh, too much cash too quickly or uh, grew sales before they could grow the product and the client base, they're suffering, right? But there's still pockets of investment. But the end result of that is just in the past three years, Joe, we've seen probably 100 or more new companies directly in the logistics technology space for shippers, when you look at yard management, real-time uh, tracking and visibility, legacy transportation management system, fleet, routing and scheduling, dispatch, there's been new entrants focusing on specific slices of the market problem, dealing with particular industry verticals. So this proliferation of all these new logistics technology vendors has created a lot of uncertainty and confusion in the market. It has made a, what used to be 25 years ago, pick one of the three vendors decision okay. into, we've got 300. And I will also say that because of, I think some of it is because of, but the ease of integration, and I say ease, relatively speaking, from 25 years ago, most of our clients, in fact, I would say uh, probably over 90% of our clients, when we're implementing they have two or more logistics technology vendors creating their solution. There is no silver bullet single vendor that can do it all in, in the way that we're seeing clients purchase and, and implement this technology. So we're seeing a highly specialized set of software vendors with a lot of new capital influx in the market from a, a few years ago. And that's just creating a, a, a tremendous opportunity, I think, to simplify, to categorize these vendors. Let's do a little bit more uh, research on what makes our business tick so that we can help clients pick the right technology for them. So, yeah, the, the technology curve has just really blossomed and taken off in the past few years, and that has been fueled by money. Yep. And everybody who took VC money, for the most part, are they're, they're, those are home run hitters, right? That's what they're trying for. Nobody's saying, I took a whole bunch of VC money and I hope to grow at 8 or 10% per year. And usually you take that VC money because you say, it's a brand new space and we want to get there first. We want to get the market share. We And somebody says, can you prove you know, that total addressable market's there? And there's no perfect information on that. So these are, by their very nature, when somebody takes a lot of VC money, it's Reggie Jackson getting up to the uh, plate. <clears throat> he's going to hit a home run or he's going to strike out. There is not, nobody hires Reggie Jackson to get singles or anything at this age. But that's some of the challenge we have. And I think we saw so much investment in the space. And again, it's it's Another thing it's done is it's raised expectations in my mind because you see some of this, oh, I'm getting a glimpse of the future with some of this new tech. But we also know, just look around your life, not so long ago, if you had the coolest phone on the block, it was a BlackBerry. Who's got a BlackBerry who's listening to my podcast right now? It's like your grandpa might have one in a drawer at his house. It's So a lot of times the tech leaders they identify the opportunity and they jump into a space and then somebody follows on. So again, it's that VC money there. <laughs> there's an expectation that we're going to get some winners, but we're also going to get some losers. But uh, even the losers up, up the whole industry's game because we go, Ooh, is that possible? <laughs> yeah. 
It, it does. You know, some small shifts can make uh, big ripples in the market for sure. Yep. So that churn is um, part of that churn. And I want to talk to you about this one is artificial intelligence and machine learning, which you told me before we hit record that you hear about it every day and everybody's concerned or thinking, hey, that's it. I'm going to let go half my staff because I've got this cool new AI. Bring it over, Brad. Let's get started. <laughs> so give us a reality check on that, Brad. Yeah. So I'm, I find myself perpetually in that Gartner, I think they call it the trough of disillusionment, right? This is where I live, right? Because I see, okay, you want to do blockchain. All right. It, it requires good data, good, clean data. You got to do the work. Okay. You want AI. Okay. You need good, clean data to do this stuff. So we're a little bit more pragmatic, maybe borderline skeptical on some of the technology advancements because Honestly, Joe, like most of our implementations today are still dealing with EDI and we see clients struggle with EDI still today, right? Because it's data driven. You're reliant on a partner uh, to provide you with data. It is difficult to put controls on suppliers and partners. Uh, from a data standpoint, you can use some tactics, carrot and stick and things like that. But at the end of the day, the data transfer uh, between uh, companies is uh, challenging. And AI, in, in my perspective, can give some, I think there are some pockets of potential, specifically around better optimization approaches. For our clients, the, the larger shippers are the ones that have more complex, higher volume networks. Shifting away from like a deterministic optimization, where it's essentially solving a problem through pick lowest cost. Right. What's my lowest cost way to get from Chicago to the Walmart distribution center in wherever, Los Angeles, versus a probabilistic based on weather, based on traffic patterns, based on carriers, past performance, pick lowest risk. So I, I think there's some interesting use cases that are being played with with, with artificial intelligence and some mach machine learning tactics. They are different, even though Many times they're used in, in conjunction, but they're different. But there are some pockets like that, probabilistic optimization, that could get some legs that would be relatively beneficial, I would say, to the broader market. We also see pockets of, of potential with user interaction, right? So a, a lot of the recent chatter and, and news traffic has is, is been around like chat GPT, generative AI. And a lot of that has put the focus on if we could just ask our systems questions using natural language and get a, a response, man, that would be a game changer, I think, for a lot of organizations, just to put it bluntly. And just as simple as how much time we spend, even as a technology skewed consulting firm, just looking for data. Where's that document? Where did I put it? Is it on Teams? Is it on SharePoint? Is it on OneDrive? Is it in my email? I don't know. But if I had just one place to ask somebody a question, like an AI bot, that would be great. And I suspect that our clients are, are thinking about similar use cases uh, to get around the clunkiness of legacy UI, because there's still a long way to go from a UX perspective with most of the logistics technology. And if we could just ask a, a chat bot, 
a, a natural language question, what loads do I have that are at risk with this hurricane? And it tells you which loads are in danger. And there's some good use cases there for uh, some of those the more generative AI technologies to, to today, today. Yeah. I want to take a quick time out to tell you, you can now listen to the logistics of logistics on Wreaths Across America Radio. I'll put a link in the show notes. Wreaths Across America provides informational, inspiring content about members of the U.S. Armed Forces, their families, and military veterans. Their mission is to remember, honor, and teach. Wreaths Across America succeeds because of the generous support of the trucking community. Take a listen and please consider volunteering. So, Getting back to it, I've always said this on my podcast, is, and it's just an observation, and I think it's probably, I'm not the only one making this observation, is technology tends to go slow and then all of a sudden really fast. And um, I remember being at work, this is going to age date me, but I don't care. I was at a meeting at work and I said, I went to the U of M football game over the weekend. Saw my beloved Wolverines. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> All right. And I came into a meeting and so he says, oh yeah, I was there. And then the guy, that's, this is before a meeting started, said, did you see all the kids, college kids with phones? And I said, yeah, there was a ton of kids with mobile phones. And somebody said, for what? And I said, I have no idea. They all have important stuff going on. And somebody goes, <laughs> why in the world would a college kid need a mobile phone? And one of the guys in the meeting is not saying anything. He goes, my college kids have mobile phones, all four. And we're all like, you got four kids in college. I feel bad for them all by it. But we're, we were laughing out loud. There was nothing so stupid as someone who had four mobile right. phones for his kid. And he said, my wife likes the idea that they have mobile phones for in the car. So they're safe. Six months later, my two teenage daughters who were in junior high school and high school got mobile phones. <laughs> and I think to myself is, it went from ludicrous to much everybody needing a mobile phone in six months. And I think about the same thing with AI. You mentioned first the dirty data. I still say this. If you talk to transportation management people, they'll say, oh, you want that report? It'll run. We can run that automatically. And they will always tell me that. The problem is that the data in the system isn't good enough to run that report. So somebody has to go in and tweak 100 fields, and then you can run that report. Is it objective? Eh, not really. And I just got a phone call not so long ago. Somebody said, hey, I need help. There's a very large company, and they are delivering to the biggest retailers in the world. We all know their names. And he said, and they aren't getting paid for their stuff because they aren't getting the Proof of delivery. I said, wait, they're delivering $80,000 worth of stuff, a whole truckload, and they don't have a proof of delivery, so they can't invoice. Now that's, so the people delivering, those are Fortune 500 companies selling to Fortune 500 companies who can't get a proof of delivery and it costs them millions of dollars per year. So when somebody tells me, we're going to do this, do that, I always think, just could you get the proof of delivery and could we get clean data in the, in whatever system we're using? Could we have actual clean data in there? <laughs> yeah. And your analogy with the report, right? You can run the report, but you're not going to get anything out of it because maybe the data is all wrong or it's bad. It is actually a, a very small microcosm of, of what 
clients, I believe, struggle with in their TMS implementations, right? And it's not necessarily bad data driven, but uh, an implementation is, is different. It is a single moment in time, right? It, it, it starts and it ends, right? So it's a project. But at the end of the project, there's no necessary payoff. There doesn't have to be a return on investment from the successful completion of that implementation project. Does not mean that you have started to generate a return on that investment. It is that, in a nutshell, that has led us to develop a new playbook, a new set of tactics and strategies for clients to do post-go-live, post-implementation, what we call day zero, right? Because it's very different to the analogy I like to use is when my wife and I had our first child. There, there, you go through the pregnancy period, and that is essentially your implementation, right? You're bringing in <laughs> a new life to the world. That's your implementation. And then what do you do the day you bring the baby home? It's a totally different playbook. It is a totally different set of tactics. It turns your life upside down. If you're not prepared for that, it's going to be chaos, right? So this is essentially what we see our clients facing when they go live. There is no ROI. How do we get that? How can we instill a continuous improvement philosophy with clients that don't necessarily know the inner workings of the application? Um, they're not necessarily software and, and product people. These are operations and, and logistics professionals. And that's a challenge. So it requires different playbooks to get more mileage in the value attainment and the value realization from those implementations requires different thinking, different skills, and a different set of tactics. I love your pregnancy analogy. And I will say, I've been on implementations, technology implementations, and I always feel like you select a technology and a, a vendor, right? And now we implement it and it always is a long, painful process, longer than you wanted, more money than you wanted to spend, more resources being, and then you finally launch it and you go, oh, dude, I just want to take a vacation. I want a day. I'm taking the day off. We launched last week and I get that. And I'm not even saying you shouldn't do that. But then if somebody who a year ago said, what is the ROI on that was to call and say, hey, Joe, Brad, I see you launch. What's the ROI on the new software? And we're like, ROI. That's that. That was a PowerPoint from last year. And you go, yeah, like, <laughs> exactly. And the problem is, we might be only using. Am I wrong to say this? Sixty percent of the software, and we're ready to the. We're ready to get back to our day jobs. We don't care anymore. Yeah. 60% is very generous, Joe. Uh, we have many clients that implement a fraction, a very small fraction of the capabilities of the tool that they've bought, which in some cases is warranted, right? Because maybe it's part of their growth curve or their scale, or they have something that's just very complex. And this slice of software feature function can solve that problem better than anybody else can. And the rest is just overhead. But in, in some cases, they've overbought. They've read the magic quadrant. They've picked the top three in the leader's quadrant. And they go with that in the RFP, not thinking about, I just bought a, a million-dollar system that has all this bloat of features and functions that I never intend to activate, I never intend to implement, and I'm paying for them. And they may not realize it, but they are paying maintenance on that stuff. And some of those dollars go to features that they'll never use. We try to be pragmatic with our clients and tell them about these things and the realities, but 
sometimes, Joe, you just, you can't, you can't make those logical connections work for everybody. And this is where mistakes happen, right? This is where you see companies overbuy or get into really bad situations during a, a technology buy or implementation. And it shuts the business down because there's something just existential that they didn't think about or the consulting company or the software vendor, everybody's culpable here in, in terms of a project, but there's a lot of stuff that can happen to, to derail that for sure. I, am I wrong to say that when you talk about technology, first off, the supplier who's created that technology is probably always updating. So there's whatever you started to implement last year has more capability right now than you were sold. Is it right to say that they should really never stop Maybe there's a little break, but there should be another technology project. Maybe it's just training. Maybe it's just turning on new fields, but it, it should never stop because here's, I said this before we hit record when we were talking about it. At some point, somebody calls you and says, Brad, last year you sold us that and we're just not getting everything we want out of it. We think we should get a new technology. And you're like, no, you should use the technology you have completely. Use 60% of it. Use 70% of it. Next year, use 80% of it. Yeah, we see this all the time. And we will point them back to the charter, right? We'll say, when we started this project, here were your goals and objectives. And we selected the technology to satisfy those goals and objectives over a period of time. And that's the implementation period. So now you've got the foundation up, right? Here's the house analogy again. You've got the foundation the, the concrete basement walls are up and you've got some sticks above you, that's not a finished product, right? This is, there's no uh, home, there's no roof over your head, but you're moved in. And this is the reality that we see with a lot of clients. And it's a, the, the tactic is totally fine to go live with an operational tool that is half-baked, if you want to call it that, but it's not okay to move into a house without a roof. But the analogy still works in that the client that has bought the technology needs to continuously keep putting walls up, keep expanding, keep enhancing, keep extending the product. Because it is very rare, Joe, that the first drop-in implementation satisfies 100% of the goals and objectives and even requirements that were expected or desired upon initiating the program. And this is where also we're trying to teach a different set of tactics and playbooks to our clients with regards to what they should be doing at day zero, which is continuous improvement. You're a, a retailer or you're an automotive company. As soon as you buy that transportation management system, you're now a piece of your organization is now a software company. And you need to have a product manager and you need to have uh, developers and you need to have people that can really leverage the system, leverage the data, understand the integration, figure out how to resolve issues as they come up. But not only that, to know how to tweak that application to satisfy the changes in your business or to accommodate for black swan events like COVID. And we have to ship stuff directly to the customers and we need it done in two weeks. To be able to do that from a, a systems capability perspective requires a lot of knowledge and the right philosophy at the, the leadership level within a logistics organization, this is where clients often fail. And we don't have any numbers. This is what we see working with logistics clients is that implementations are pretty easy. If you get the software vendor selection done right, 
implementations usually go much more smooth. Implementations from our perspective are labor, their effort. There's not a lot of gotchas and risks and surprises in implementations from our perspective. They're pretty much, this is a drop-in. We're going to build a house. Um, at the end of it, based on what you've given us, uh, we're done with the job. Now phase two comes and now we want to extend it. Now we want to go after the money and the savings and the investment. And we're like, okay, here's what we need to do. And that is not something that is normal. A lot of clients think as soon as I buy the iPhone, I know everything about the iPhone. And there's no way, for, even for me at my age, I don't know, I probably know 40% of my iPhone's capabilities and the rest of it is a mystery to me and that's okay. I just don't have the time to invest in it, but clients need to know what they're capable of, what their systems are capable of, because the, the downside to, to not knowing is every 10 years, you're going to go back and rip and replace. Let's pick a new TMS. Let's rip it out, put a new one in. And that's not effective and it's not a good use of capital. Yep. I remember I talked to somebody not so long ago about this and they said, we're going to pick a supplier. There was a 3PL. And our thought process is we're going to pick someone we, who can do the work, but we also have to have a cultural fit. And we want them to be really effective to start, meaning all of our shipments. And then we want to work on the costs over time. I don't want to cut my cost. I don't want to say, oh, they saved me 30% right away, but my business is a disaster because everything's late or not arriving. And I think the same thing with this uh, technology vendor. It used to be, I'm thinking back in the olden days, you would implement and then once a quarter, you would get some CDs. <laughs> Look it up, kids. Right. Look it up <laughs> on YouTube. You get CDs and you would update and th there would be a maintenance update and uh, maybe some new features, but they weren't involved in it. They And I worked for a software company out of Silicon Valley, and one of my neighbors convinced me to go work with him. And he'd done very well for himself. He had lived in a mansion, so I figured, all right, he knows what he's doing. And he said, I remember one day we were driving, and he said, all the money is in the maintenance. And and that, those were still CD-ROMs we were sending. And I was like, but today, those suppliers are usually stuff is in the cloud, so those updates are happening daily and you don't really have a chance choice whether you update usually. It's a much better way, but I think also those suppliers want you as a long-term customer and use them, use JBF and keep getting better every day and be able to say, yeah, we up, we got new software last year and we're using 30% more of it this year. And next year we're going to even use even more. Yeah. And that's a great point, Joe. And thinking over the weekend, we had, uh, apparently we had a, a Microsoft uh, uh, update that impacted uh, email, our Outlook exchange server. It impacted Teams. It impacted uh, our users' access to these tools. And uh, it took us the, the better part of Monday morning to figure out what happened and, and how to remediate. And a lot of settings just got wiped out and reset back to default through this background cloud update. And if that were to happen with clients running a multi-million dollar TMS that they've uh, invested two years of their time to implement, and the patch or an upgrade comes out that they're unaware of, 
just think of the ripple that could have to the business and the impact that this operational tool, transportation and logistics systems are very much operational tools and what they're just used for modeling or problem solving purposes, they can shut the business down easily. So the new cloud reality is very frequent upgrades. Most software vendors will be specific and, and tell clients that you have, we, we're going to do four releases a year and you have to take three of those. You have to stay at least somewhat current on our releases. And that is a, a full-time job. That's a continuous upgrade burden for clients that is an unspecified, unmarketed, not talked about cost of the cloud is perpetual testing, perpetual preparation, perpetual feature function delta training. Hey, we just launched a new UI. Oh, the stuff that I used to look at my load bench or my workbench last week, I come back in on Monday and everything is upside down. Everything is redone. It, I don't know where to go to look at the orders that are unfulfilled and the loads that are late. So you constantly have to stay on top of the features and the enhancements in the releases and do regression testing perpetually and do quarterly releases and figure out which releases you want to take. And every time they make an enhancement or an upgrade, they're often adding new stuff. They're adding features. Those things can be valuable, but they're not going to be valuable unless you implement them and take advantage of them. This type of new reality for the shippers is, is becoming better known. And now we have a set of tactics and playbooks to help them address those types of things. I love it. I love it. I'll tell you, it's this, the technology is awesome. We obviously love it. We want to continue to use it, we want to, but it doesn't come without the care and the maintenance. And I love what you said about the pregnancy is, yeah, there's a brand new playbook once that child is in the world. So I'm going to summarize, then I want to get your final thoughts on the topic. So talking with my friend, Brad Forrester, about freight tech reality check. So the first thing we talked about is a lot of churn in the space. Uh, some companies getting bought, some companies struggling. Also, uh, a lot of people being uh, forced to get new systems because maybe their uh, old system got purchased. Lots of challenges there. We talked about AI and ML and the impact, real and or imagined. We talked about the implementation and post-implementation. That's, again, the pregnancy and the child rearing. Two different things. <laughs> you, have to, uh, you need a playbook from both. And then we just talk about these quarterly releases, patches, all of this challenges. This is really the care and maintenance of that system once I get it. Um, final thoughts, Brad Forrester. I would say from a shipper perspective, just technology is not something you can run away from. It is a critical part of the effective execution of logistics strategies. So it's not going to go away anytime soon. So don't put your head in the sand and think that once you've gone live, everything is roses, right? Because it's going to require uh, a lot of additional time and attention. Um, and somebody has to keep the lights on from a systems perspective. And that's not always just the IT group's, IT department's responsibility. So don't bury your head in the sand. Technology is critical. Yep. Two questions for you. First off, Again, one more time, who do you serve and what problems do you solve for them? Sure. We serve shippers and 3PLs that are anywhere from $50 million annual freight spend to over a billion dollar freight spend across 
whatever industry, we are industry agnostic. And we help those clients with the proper strategy, selection, implementation, and care and feeding or maintenance, for lack of a better term, of those logistics technologies. Awesome. Brad, I like to interview smart, interesting people like you, people who are killing it in the space. Who else should I interview? I love what what Thomas Moore is doing. He's got a, a couple really good software companies in his portfolio. He's, I believe he's an ex-Princeton professor of optimization. And we interacted with, with Thomas and, and his, his son, who, who runs one of his companies in the Four Kites Conference just three or four weeks ago up in Chicago. And he's doing some really cool stuff in the space. So I think Thomas Moore is, is a great call out. And um, I'd love to interview him. I was just talking to John Larkin, the famous investment guy in our space. And he was talking about all these optimization companies all of a sudden, and you're just describing one of them. And when two leaders in the space in basically less than a week tell me optimization, because we didn't talk so much about that. It was just the execution stuff. So I, I would love to talk to Thomas. So it's still relevant, still important. Yep. So what conferences will we see you and the JBFers at? So our next conference is uh, uh, a Descartes uh, user conference uh, for, for their uh, TMS and, and uh, uh, routing and scheduling application. Um, but I think our conferences are, are pretty much done for the year uh, for, for us anyway, but uh, there, there could be some, some other pockets. But uh, next conference would be Descartes and then into 2024 we go. I'll see what manifests in 2024. I've been telling everybody I will be there again this year. I hope so. It's Did you go last year by the chance? We sent a couple people I didn't personally attend. <clears throat> there was so many people there. I always say I've got to I've got to do a better job of connecting with all the folks who are out there because it's one of those 3000 plus people where you go, yeah, did, did, who'd you see? I was like, I saw 300 people that I know. <laughs> that was what I do. Yeah, you see everybody. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Anyway, um, what I'll do, Brad, is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile, a link to your website, and any other links you and your marketing team give me, I'll put those in the show notes. And Brad, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Joe. It's great talking with you as always, and uh, pleasure being here. Awesome. Awesome. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.